Good morning. So uh, my wife and I have been talking a little bit just about summertime and just kind of some things that we want to do this summer for our family, um, just some new rhythms that we want to set. And so we were just kind of talking about sharing some of these with you guys here at Refuge. And something that we've been doing is we have a little fire pit in our backyard. And um, what we've been trying to do is just invite some friends over after the kids go down, and we just make a fire, make some s'mores, and we just talk. And whether they're new friends or they're old friends, just sharing authentically about our lives and what's going on, just a way to share our burdens. And so here's just... We want to try to do this regularly throughout the summer, but just kind of give you weekly challenges, just things to think through. And so this week, we challenge you to take someone out to coffee or whatever your preferred drink of choice is, right? Take them out and just ask them about them. Ask to hear their story, maybe something you don't know about their lives. You know, maybe if they're not from here, how did you come here? You know, or like, tell me how you came to faith in Jesus Christ. You know, tell me about your journey. And so let's, let's be intentional about our community this summer. Summer is, you know, seems to be a time where most of us have a little bit more free time. There's not uh, the normal demands of work and school and things like that. And so let's really be intentional about investing into our community and getting to know one another and investing in one another's life. So there's a little challenge for you this week. And then next week, we're going to see how many of you actually listened and obeyed. And you will get merit in the kingdom of heaven, right? because that's what we believe here. Um, All right, let's stand for the reading of God's word. I'm going to be reading in Proverbs 3, verses 13 through 26 this morning. 13 through 26. Flourishing are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver. And yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, those who hold her fast will flourish or be blessed. For by wisdom the Lord, that's Yahweh, laid the earth's foundations. By understanding he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge the watery depths were divided and the clouds let let drop the dew. Now my son, do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight preserve sound judgment and discretion. They will be life for you, an ornament to grace your neck. Then you will go on your way in safety, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Have no fear of sudden disaster or of the ruin that overtakes the wicked, for the Lord will be at your side and will keep your foot from being snared. This is God's word. You can be seated. So if it's your first time joining us, uh, welcome. We have dedicated this year to biblical literacy. And what we mean by that is that we as a church 
are reading the Bible for ourselves to know firsthand what it teaches and in order to be shaped by the story of God. In our current series, uh, we're, we're calling it the School of Life, and for the last three weeks, we've been focusing on the reality of pain and suffering. This is just part of life on planet Earth, to experience pain, to go through suffering. And so we looked at how we go through pain and suffering. We looked at how it is that we're supposed to approach God in our pain and suffering. And then last week, we looked at how God has entered the story of humanity and himself has suffered, has gone through pain. Um, He suffers with us, and he also suffers in order to end all sufferings. But now we're going to carry on kind of in this theme of the school of life. And this morning we're going to look specifically at how wisdom leads to the good life. So this is a question that people have been asking since the dawn of time. Like, what is the good life, first of all? And how do I obtain it? I was reading an article, I think it was last year, two years ago, about how Harvard University, uh, the, the biggest enrollment ever in you know, 2018 for all of history at Harvard was a class on happiness. All of these you know, students going after their PhD or whatever, right, uh, Climbing the uh, stairs of academia to the ivory towers. What do they want to know? What is everyone interested in? How to be happy. How to flourish. How to have a full life. And that's a hugely important question because I think we could all say it's fairly easy to live your life. You ever go to those places? Maybe it's off five Interstate 5, or it's other places, other states, and you just think, boy, people here are just existing, right? What does anybody do here? Everyone works at the gas station or the mini-mart, right? And you think, this isn't living, you know? Come on! What what do people, like, want for their lives? I don't know, this happens to me all the time. Every time, I'm going to drive 5, actually, today, and I know those thoughts are going to come to me. Um... I think we see a lot of this. It's fairly easy to live your life, and many in our time are doing exactly that, simply living. Um, Some are doing it successfully according to one narrative or another. Some are seem super progressive, right? They seem to be going somewhere at a rapid pace. But the question really is, is not how do we live, but how do we live a life of quality, a life of goodness, a life of flourishing. And what do I mean by that? Right here. A life that regardless of what is thrown at you, you're able to look over your life with a sense of contentment, joy, purpose, and meaning. There's an underlying peace And there is a future hopefulness. Do you have that? Now, it might be surprising for some of you to know that this is actually the main question or storyline of the Bible. How to live well, how to flourish. The blessed life. This comes up again and again and again in the Bible. The idea of biblical wisdom... Sometimes, you know, we refer to like, oh, you know, the wisdom books of the Bible or biblical wisdom. And what we mean by that is usually Proverbs, 
Psalms, Job, Ecclesiastes, and maybe some people might throw Song of Solomon into that. You know, oh, have you read the wisdom literature? You know, or did you, you know, did you read about you know biblical wisdom in the Book of Proverbs? And a lot of guys, I, I know, I grew up in the church, but a big thing in the church was that. For some reason, men, usually businessmen, you know, they would have this thing where, you know, every 31 days, right, or every, you know, every month they're reading through the book of Proverbs, like, okay, getting some biblical wisdom. The idea that these books alone are the wisdom literature is actually a new idea. The Jews considered the whole Hebrew Bible to be wisdom literature. Listen to this. This is from Psalm 119. David says, oh, how I love your Torah, your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands, again, Torah, are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes, law, Torah, I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts, law, Torah. I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate all of the false paths. Psalm 119, 97 through 104. I think often when we think of biblical wisdom, we can relegate it to mean spiritual wisdom as opposed to practical wisdom. Wisdom that is concerned with the soul, but not the body. Wisdom that is concerned with church and not business. Wisdom that is concerned with catechism, but not education. Worship and not play. But nothing could be further from the truth. You guys remember Solomon? Everybody familiar with the King Solomon, son of David? Remember the story, Solomon is, is young and he's naive. He doesn't have a whole lot of experience. And he's been set as the king over Israel. He's been set as the king over God's people. And he has this dream where he encounters God. And God tells him that he can ask him for anything. And Solomon actually probably being wiser than he even realized at the time, says, I need wisdom to rule this great people. I I just have no idea what I'm doing. And so God, it says, grants him wisdom. And it's not just as a king or as a spiritual leader, but in every sphere of life. Listen, I was shocked by this, just reading it again this week. 1 Kings 4, it says, He, Solomon, spoke 3,000 proverbs, And his songs numbered a thousand and five. He beat Bob Dylan, right? He spoke about plant life from cedars of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of walls. He also spoke about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. From all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of this wisdom. And I think what we see when we look at Biblical wisdom, and we look specifically at the life of Solomon, is that Solomon was a thriving human being. That's what he was. He he excelled in every area of life. It wasn't just relegated to one piece. And when we think about biblical wisdom, see, God isn't just concerned about your spiritual life. He wants you to flourish in every area of your life. Whatever 
identity, whatever hat you wear as an individual, God wants you to flourish in those things, be it at business or at home, in friendships, in family, in relationships, in the hobbies that we have, that we would do these things well, that we would do these things, as Paul says, as unto the Lord. That we would see this world as a garden that needs to be cultivated, that we'd see our own lives as gardens that are to be cultivated, that are to grow into something beautiful. Biblical wisdom pertains to every aspect of life in this world because it is Yahweh who formed the world in wisdom. Uh, J.I. Packer, in his book, God Has Spoken, this is the way he talks about the scriptures. Listen to this. This is fascinating, just to stop and think about. The canonical scriptures are a a veritable book of life, he says, showing us God in relation to the most dramatic human crisis, birth, sickness, death, loves, losses, wars, falls, risks, disasters, failures, victories, the most elemental human emotions, joy, grief, love, hate, hope, fear, pain, anger, shame, awe, and the most basic human relationships to parents, spouses, children, friends, neighbors, civil authorities, enemies, and fellow believers or fellow Christians. The Bible just covers everything. And what it says is it wants you to flourish in every area and every aspect of your life. And that is the purpose of the Bible. To train us in wisdom, understanding, and knowledge so that we will become wise ones, so that we will become truly human. Of course, not autonomously, not that we take this book and we just book and we just plug it into our lives and we just go and we live, you know, our own journey. No, that we live under God and under his care, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. But we become ones who rule well over God's creation and ones who live, excuse me, ones whose lives exhibit the flourishing life of God. The purpose of the Bible is to teach us and train us so we can live godly lives and fulfill the covenant partnership that God created us for. Lost at the fall, brought back on track by Jesus so the earth can be a flourishing garden with God's presence. So, where wisdom comes in is how we accomplish that. What road we take, whose wisdom we use. Will we use the fear of the Lord or self-determination? The tree of life or the tree of knowledge, both good and bad. So let's talk about how biblical wisdom leads to life, or excuse me, to the good life. And I think in order to do this, we have to go back to the beginning. So my first point for this morning is this, in the beginning, wisdom. The first pages of the Bible vividly paint this picture that Yahweh's wisdom leads to flourishing. We read this as we opened up this morning, but it says, By wisdom the Lord laid the the earth's foundations. By understanding he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge the watery depths were divided and the clouds let drop the dew. So we're given this picture that it's through wisdom, understanding, 
and knowledge that God sets all of the universe in motion. You know, you think about the vastness of God's creation, the majesty of it. I don't know if any of you uh, were stargazing this weekend, but I'm pretty sure there was no moon. So just like in clear skies, it was a great time to do uh, some stargazing. Apparently Jupiter is like showcasing right now. So what a great time to just look up and see the majesty of God. See and consider the intricacy and how everything works together to bring order and life. And the Bible says it's by God's infinite wisdom, his understanding, his knowledge and power that he does this, that he has formed the universe, that he makes a world teeming with life. We've been talking about this a lot this year in the year of biblical literacy, but this idea that the earth is filled with the steadfast love of the Lord. A couple months ago, my son Judah, he's nine, he, he just loves information, and, just, and he gets, you know, um, all these magazines, you know, on science and all stuff, and he's like, hey, Dad, you know, they're, they're, we're talking about going to Mars and, and, you know, establishing colonies on Mars. What do you think about that? I said, son, I think it's the stupidest idea humans have ever had. <laughs> we're going to leave a world that is filled with natural resources, where the, the air here gives us life, the sun, water, all these things are, are necessary for life, and we're going to go to a desert planet filled with toxins and think that we're going to, like, make it work. Rather than accepting the stewardship that God has given us over this earth, we're saying, we're like the tribe of Dan. Like, oh, we don't want Gaza. Like, th- this is worthless to us now. We, you know, we're going to the, go to the northern parts of Israel. We're going to take over that place. We're done with the earth. It's no good to us. And we're going to go to Mars? I'm sorry. If, if you love science and you're all about this, like, I'm sorry, but I think that this is the, one of the stupidest ideas that we've ever had. And the biggest waste of money, right? Let's, we could feed people. We could help people. We could use this to restore the earth. The earth is filled with natural resources. God has put these in for life, for blessing, for flourishing, a world teeming with life. He creates, Genesis shows us, a flourishing garden to be the habitat for his image bearers. And we know the story, right? In the beginning, God, when he created the heavens and the earth, he places the first humans in the Garden of Eden. And we have this picture of flourishing there, this picture of uh, what the Bible calls shalom, a picture of flourishing. We see mankind is in harmony with God. There isn't fear. There isn't suspicion of God. Uh, Humans aren't under like this heavy yoke. They're not being oppressed. You know, it says that God walked with man and woman in the garden in the cool of the day. They would walk and they would talk. They would have great times together. We see that mankind is in harmony with itself. Uh, The man and the woman, it says, are naked and there is no shame. There's nothing to hide. Total vulnerability and openness. And we also see that mankind is in harmony with creation. There's no, you know, lions and tigers and bears like ripping Adam and Eve to shreds or any fear of that stuff going on. And I think what the Bible is trying to say to us is, look, here it is. Here's the good life. 
right in the first pages of Genesis. You've got flourishing. You've got the good life. Humans in perfect relationship with God, with one another, and creation without shame, without fear, without guilt. And they're building God's world into something. They're going somewhere. They've got a mission. They've got a vision. They're with him. They're with one another. And I think what we see here is that the man and the woman are under the apprenticeship of Yahweh. Remember early on when God creates, God is doing these things and then God is pronouncing them good. And then he creates Adam and he says, hey, why don't you do a little ordering? Why don't you do a little forming and filling? And so God brings the animals to Adam and Adam begins to name them. And it doesn't say that God's like, oh, hold on. That is not a, you know, wiggly do. That is a hippopotamus, Adam. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he just like, go ahead. Like, have your way. You take over, take the reins, and steer this one. And so Adam is under the apprenticeship of God with Eve, and it's through God's wisdom, through God's understanding and knowledge, that they are to have dominion. That's what the text says. God wants Adam and Eve to rule the earth over the land, over the animals. He wants them to fill the earth with image bearers, right? Make more humans that will do the same thing, that will rule well over God's earth, bringing it into submission. I think that this is kind of a carnal term, but the idea there is more cultivation. You know, sometimes we think of submission, we think of the way that many people have, you know, through fracking or whatever, just rape the earth. And sometimes people turn to the Bible to get that. That's not the picture that we have in Genesis. God is saying, take the Garden of Eden, this incredible flourishing plot of land, and spread the borders of it out to the ends of the earth. So the whole earth will be filled with God's flourishing. It will be teeming with life. This is the apprenticeship or the the, um, purpose of the apprenticeship, to spread out the borders of the garden and to fill the whole earth so that it becomes the flourishing garden city of God. And yet, we know the story. They're given this commission, and yet they have another option, for there are two trees in the midst of the garden. And I hope at this time you're beginning to see how some of this wisdom literature comes into here. You know, you have two trees, two paths, two ways of life, two ways of thinking, two versions of wisdom. So we have the tree of life and the tree of knowledge, both good and bad. And the question is, what will humans choose? Will they do what Yahweh has called them to do? Will they take of the tree of life? Will they go to Yahweh for wisdom, for understanding and knowledge? and how to fulfill this task? Or will they strike out on their own and seek knowledge, wisdom, and understanding for themselves? Will they try to mature on their own? Will they try to define their own meaning, purpose, right and wrong, apart from God and apart from his authority? Will they choose to listen and obey the voice of God, seeing everything that he has given them? Or will they try and have the kingdom without the king? Now, here is a super interesting thing that we might have missed in our year of biblical literacy. Everyone knows, I mean, even non-Christians know about the serpent in the garden. But we're told that this serpent is uh, a Hebrew word. He is an arum serpent. And the word means sly, crafty, or prudent. Now, those are actually, those can be positive words, 
right? To be crafty, to be sly, to be shrewd can actually be a good thing, right? In business, this can be a good thing. Somebody who actually is shrewd is usually the one who, whose business thrives, right? Because they know where to cut costs. They know, you know just the ins and outs of these things. They're not messing around. So this serpent is sly, crafty, and prudent. I think what the scripture is trying to show us here is that God has wisdom, understanding, and knowledge that he's given to Adam and Eve, and along comes an animal, and he also has wisdom. It's a different kind of wisdom, but he has a wisdom of his own. And the sly, crafty, or prudent serpent invites humanity to question God's ordering, to find out knowledge for themselves. He offers and suggests, look, you can have wisdom, understanding, knowledge. You can have the good life apart from God. God has told you this story, but let me tell you, there's actually another way to the good life. To take of the tree of knowledge, both good and bad of yourself. To become autonomous, to choose to rule yourself. And there's even this flattering invitation. You can be like God. And so we know the story. Humanity is led astray by the words of the serpent and reaches for wisdom apart from God. Reaches for the ability to order the world as they see fit. And humanity's grasp for wisdom reveals itself not as true wisdom, but as foolishness. And its results are not life, are not freedom, not flourishing, not the good life, but death. Toil in work and home, broken relationships with God, broken relationships with others, and a loss of garden, the loss of this flourishing. The rest of the Old Testament basically continues to show us the foolish decisions that humanity make as they move further and further away from Eden, this good life contained there. And of course, we know God remains faithful to his purposes for mankind. God doesn't just give up and start over. He is determined to bring mankind into flourishing. He is determined to rescue us, to bring us back. And so we know about the promise that one day one will come who will crush the serpent and bring them back, excuse me, bring us back, humanity, back to the garden. And so, you guys, from here, the narrative tension of the Old Testament is set. And here it is. How will humanity get back to the garden and the good life? This is wisdom literature. How do we do it? How do we get back to the garden? How do we get back to this place that God intended for us originally? So let's talk about the wisdom literature, okay? The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. This is Proverbs 1, if you are interested in reading along, 1 through 7. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning or the foundation of knowledge. Fools despise 
wisdom and instruction. Now, as I mentioned in my introduction, Proverbs is often seen as a compilation of, you know, pithy, helpful statements for living in a wise way. Remember earlier in the year when we talked about how, you know, some people just look at the Bible and they think that it is um, a book full of timeless truth, ancient wisdom that we can kind of plug and play for life today, right? And although these are in the book of Proverbs, this view misses out on the larger role Proverbs plays in the Bible, giving answer to the question, can we get back to the garden? How can we live the good life? As seen in the introduction of Proverbs, the book is for the sake of knowing wisdom. And in the Bible, wisdom, uh, it's this Hebrew word, chokmah, and it's not concerned just with intellect. It's not concerned with um, simply just judgment, how to discern alone, but wisdom refers more to skill and applied knowledge of living in the world. It's, it's knowledge assimilated, knowledge that actually changes the way that we live and increases the quality of life relationships, um, the things that our hands and our minds are working at. Wisdom throughout Proverbs is regularly paralleled with understanding, instruction, insight, prudence, you know, so on and so forth. And what's really interesting to me is that Proverbs repeats these three words together, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, and it depicts them as tools. These are tools that God wants to give to people. These are tools of creation within the larger canon of the Old Testament. Now listen to this. This is fascinating stuff. So according to Proverbs 3, 19-20, we read that in the introduction, it is by wisdom, understanding, and knowledge that God built the land, that God builds the Garden of Eden, this flourishing habitat for humanity. Now, you guys know the story, right? Garden is lost. What happens is, you know, just kind of this downward spiral of humanity all the way to the Tower of Babel where humans are trying to get back up into heaven to either, you know, rule like God again, or to be with God, trying to get to heaven on their own. And God confuses the whole thing and scatters the nations. And then what happens? God takes Abraham, and he says, I'm going to take you, and basically I'm going to give you my wisdom, my understanding, my knowledge, and through you I'm going to bless the earth. So basically God is going to do, try to do with Abraham what he tried to do with Adam and Eve. It's the same story happening again. And later on, we come to Moses and the people of Israel. And God, again, he gives them their, God gives them his wisdom, his understanding, and his knowledge. And there is a tabernacle that's built. And the tabernacle is the mobile presence of God. And if, you, if you've read Leviticus, which some of you have in the year of biblical literacy, you'll know that all of the images in the tabernacle are a throwback to the garden. There's palm trees, there's pomegranates, there's the, the, you know, the sea, there's all of these images. There's the, the, the roof, or excuse me, the ceiling in the tabernacle is this glittering material. And it's supposed to be the heavens. 
And so the whole idea of the tabernacle is that the priests are going back to Eden. They're going back, and there is the presence of God. They're going back to Eden to be in fellowship once again with God. Now, of course, there are sacrifices that require them um, to be done before they enter into the presence of God. But here's the point. Listen to this. According to Exodus 31, verse 3, and Exodus 35, 30 through 31, it's by wisdom, understanding, and knowledge that Bezalel builds the tabernacle. So God builds a place of flourishing through wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Bezalel builds a mobile place of flourishing through wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Continuing on in the story, right? They get into the land of Israel. At one point in time, David wants to build a temple for God, so he gathers all this stuff together. God says, no, you're not going to build the temple for me. Your son Solomon will build the temple. Solomon builds the temple. And it says in 1 Kings 7 that Hiram, he's actually from the city of Tyre. Hiram comes down and builds the temple for Solomon. And listen to what it says about Hiram. Guess what God gives him? Wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. And that's how he builds the temple. Once again, it's the garden. It's the presence of God has all these pictures of the flourishing life of the garden. And now here's the piece that brings it all together. Proverbs 24, verses 3 through 4 say this. By wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, these three things, you can build your own life into a garden. This is the offer of the book of Proverbs. It's not plug and play. Like, oh, you know, don't answer a fool according to his folly. Thank you. Beep. You know, and just like, take that to work today and try to apply that somewhere. We get the book of Proverbs wrong when we just look at it that way. It's the big picture. God is giving you or offering you these tools of wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, the same tools that he used to fashion the world to build this flourishing place for humanity, the same tools that he gave to Bezalel to build the tabernacle, the presence of God, the same tools that he gave Hiram to build a temple for God, a dwelling place of God with people. God offers these same tools to us the same wisdom and understanding so that we can build our lives, so that our lives will be these kind of mini gardens, these places of flourishing, I would say, until the great gardener himself comes to restore all things. So I wrote this out, you know, I was having like a moment this week you guys ever have that, like when you're reading your Bible, or you're, I mean, maybe you're in school, or you're studying something, and everything just goes like, it clicks together, like Voltron, Transformers, that kind of stuff, you know? He's like, oh, it all fits together. I had this moment where I'm reading this, I was just like mind blown, and so this is what I wrote out. Get ready to have your minds blown, right? No. The Genesis 1 through 2, Proverbs connection and ideal is this. Yahweh, the great gardener and architect of life, can train you in wisdom, understanding, and knowledge so that your own personal life will be a kind of mini garden, an Eden of flourishing and fullness. This is God's offer to us. This is what God holds out 
in his word to us. I mean, this is what Psalm 1 is talking about, right? The one who delights in and meditates on Torah. What is Torah? God's wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Day and night will be like a flourishing tree planted by rivers of water. It will bring forth fruit in season. Whatever this individual does will prosper. Its leaves will not wither. No matter what life throws at it, it is secure. It is rooted, grounded. It is producing life. This is the Edenic vision. And so the question is, will we fear the Lord? Will we take Torah Will we meditate on it day and night? Will we hold it and value it the way that God's saying, like, look, this is more precious than gold. What I'm giving you is is priceless. Will we see it that way? Will we receive it with respect and fear and awe and a wonder? That's the question. Will we respond in gratitude as Adam and Eve failed to do? Will we believe that God is our Father who loves us and wants flourishing for us? Will we measure God's love and faithfulness by our circumstance or will we measure it by the cross? Another way to ask that question. Will we seek wisdom, understanding, and knowledge that comes from him or will we strike out on our own? And so what the book of Proverbs and the wisdom literature in general is doing, you guys, is taking us right back to the garden. And it is putting us in the shoes of Eve herself and It's as if we are standing before the tree of life and the tree of knowledge. That's what it is. This offer, tree of life, dependence on God, obedience to God, faith and trust in God. That he loves us, created us, knows what is best, and will bring true flourishing. Will we take his word? Will we take his wisdom? Will we take his understanding? Will we take his knowledge? Or will we say, ah, you know, my life's so busy right now. Oh, you know, I really want to pursue those things, but... You know, oh man, work has been super busy and then my personal life has been super busy. I know what you do because I have cameras in all of your houses. No, I know what you do because you're just like me, right? We just waste so much time. And these things are little tools from Satan himself, right? I'm kidding. But truly though, like we think about just how much time we spend. These things that are supposed to make our lives easier, are creating more disconnectedness, more disillusionment, more discontent, and we aren't accomplishing half of what we did. Wasting so much time, and God offers us his wisdom, his knowledge, his understanding. I'm, I'm going to just a little confession moment here. Um, we just kind of have this ritual that the kids are allowed to watch a few shows while they eat lunch at our house. Um, at our house, like they're visiting. At our house, our children get to watch shows as they eat their lunch. There we go. Uh, and, you know, like the boys get one show, Evelyn gets one show, and we do this thing. And what I normally do is because the kids are doing this, I just sit there with my phone. And I eat my lunch, and I just kind of, you know, I'm on Twitter or I'm on Instagram. And I got off of social media a couple weeks ago. And you know what I did yesterday? I just opened up my Bible, and I just read. And just sitting there, just taking in God's word, reading through Jeremiah right now, I was just astounded, just hearing the story. 
And what it is, you guys, I think what was astounding to me is as I'm studying the book of Proverbs, I'm seeing that the prophets are basically saying exactly what the book of Proverbs was saying. Israel, God has given you all these things. Why do you keep rejecting his word? Why do you keep rejecting his word? It's only going to bring ruin. It's only going to bring disaster. It's only going to bring judgment. It's only going to bring exile. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what Proverbs says. You take on your own wisdom, the wisdom of people around you, you do just what everybody else does, and it only leads to disappointment, to disillusionment. It only leads to decay and death. Anyway, all that to say, it was just, I was so refreshed. I was so refreshed by just sitting with God's word. And I just think about, man, all the hours that I just sit with my phone, and I just tune into that, and is it giving me wisdom, understanding, and knowledge? Yes, it is, in fact. But it is not a wisdom, understanding, and knowledge that leads to life, that leads to flourishing. I believe it does the exact opposite. And so the question, again, for us, is will we receive this with gratitude, with fear, with with an awe and reverence that God is offering us these incredible tools to build our lives with? Now, many think the Bible is all about God controlling us, but this is such a warped view, right? God wasn't keeping Adam and Eve from knowledge and the good life. He was preserving them for it. God wants us, likewise, to grow in wisdom so that it becomes a true part of us in order that we can be the covenant image partners that he has created us to be. God wants us to become fully human under his apprenticeship. Do you know the story of the Bible, guys, what God, what we have in front of us? The Bible sees this life as an apprenticeship. Everything we do is training ground. The people that we interact with, the way that they interact with us, the tasks that we do, every single one of them, from motherhood to fatherhood to being sons or daughters to being employees and employers to being friends to the way we play to the way we do our hobbies, all of this is an internship for the kingdom of God. And God wants us to rule and reign over the new world. We are going places. The best is yet to come. God has huge plans for our lives. But the problem is that many of us are squandering those things. We are squandering our internship. We are not receiving the tools that God has given us to build a flourishing life here and now. But this is what God wants for us, to make us truly wise, to rule on his behalf, to make the world a garden. Now, let me just kind of pull back a little bit, because I need to do that when I preach often. This is not instant gratification stuff. And maybe that's the difficulty of it in our generation, our culture. This cultivation takes a lifetime. It doesn't come through a one-time reading through Scripture, but like Psalm 1 says, the person who delights in, delights in, gets what this is, that these are the words of eternal life. These are God's tools, how to build your life. And so you sit with it. You know the importance, so you sit with it. You cherish it. You chew on it. You think it over and over and over. You assimilate it, right? And so that's where we need to trust in the slow work of God. We need to commit ourselves to the word, to the wisdom, understanding, and knowledge of God. But we need to play the long game. 
And I say this because I know that many Christians treat Scripture the way we treat the latest app, diet, workout, self-help book, etc., right? Many in our culture want a kind of app or plug-and-play wisdom for life. Read this book, listen to this podcast, Marie Kondo your life, and poof. Flourishing. You did it. You, you, You made it. The good life. You've arrived. But in Scripture, wisdom and the good life are not a commodity that you can pick up, that you can get from someone else. That's not how it works. You can't pick it up. You can't plug it in. It's not an app. It is cultivated character according to one way of wisdom or another The wisdom you choose to cultivate either leads to flourishing or to decay and death. It was interesting to me this week just thinking through these things and just pondering, okay, what's going on here? And I I was sitting there and thinking about how the wisdom that the serpent offered was instantaneous. Listen to this. The woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye. So she took, she ate, she gave some to her husband who was with her. He took, he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. See, that doesn't happen before this. They're under the apprenticeship of God. And it doesn't say like, oh, as soon as God commissions them, that their eyes are opened and they get everything, right? And they are these image bearers of God that are just doing everything perfectly. It The biblical storyline and wisdom doesn't work like that. But the wisdom, the arum that comes from the serpent is instantaneous. Church, we search for apps and books and podcasts, this and that to change our lives. Modern divinations. Secret, esoteric, elusive offers of the good life, of wisdom that leads to the good life. Read the secret. Your life will change. Read this book, read that, just apply these things. But they cannot deliver on their promises of the good life. And I'm not saying that these things can't be helpful, right? Please, Marie Kondo your life. Get rid of your junk, like by all means. Live a more simple life. But they will not satisfy you in the end. They cannot lead to the flourishing that only God alone possesses. And so what happens each time is a kind of death as your eyes are opened. The heartache and disappointment, disillusionment sets in and the good life once again evades you. And the tragedy of all tragedies is this, that all day long the Holy Spirit or wisdom according to Proverbs 8, 1 through 3 cries out and offers us a cultivation of the wisdom, understanding of knowledge of Yahweh that does in fact lead to the good life, to flourishing. And so here's the challenge. Will you take him at his word? Will you come under Yahweh's apprenticeship? Will you begin to cultivate this flourishing life that he created you for, that Jesus Christ has redeemed us for? Here's the last thing that I'll say. So I've applied it to us. Will we do this? But as we said in the beginning, the good life is something that humanity has been searching for since the dawn of time. People 
are tirelessly going after wisdom that is not wisdom, paths and philosophies that cannot deliver on the good life. And we, the church, we have it. We do. I mean, some of us probably aren't living it, which is just tragic, but we have it. We have wisdom and understanding and knowledge from God that leads to the good life. And we have a world out there that is groping like blind people in the dark, looking for truth, looking for answers. Now, not, of course, not everybody, but many are. And here's the truth. Every human being on earth was created by God and for God. And this is what I, I, I believe with all my heart. When we display God's wisdom, understanding, and knowledge in our life, this flourishing life, people see it. People know it when they see it. They recognize it. That's the thing I'm looking for. And I cannot tell you guys how many times I have had interactions with people in our city, in our community, who have watched me and my wife and the way that we interact with one another. Have watched our family. And we're not perfect at all, right? We are just as screwed up as, like, you know, the next person, right? We fight, we yell, we lose our temper, we're selfish, we do all these things. And yet... People see our lives and they say, man, your family and the way that you guys just interact with one another is it's just beautiful. I've, I've, never, I've never seen anything like this. And it's not like we're like, yes, yes, hello, it's good to meet you. You know, like this is something in and of ourselves. We know what's happening. We know what's happening. We know that this is wisdom and understanding and knowledge of God that he's given us as a gift by his grace. And we have simply tried to be faithful stewards and cultivate the biblical wisdom. And when we do, hungry, thirsty people want to sit down and they want to eat. They want to partake. They want to know. And I think that this is what Peter is talking about in the New Testament, that it is by our good works that men and women will, will, will question, they will wonder, they will ask a reason for the hope that is within us. The Christian life is the greatest witness that we have. The flourishing gardens that God calls us to cultivate are the greatest witness that we have to the watching world. And when we live by God's wisdom, it displays a flourishing that all of humanity is looking for. And the question is, will we hide from the world by neglecting to become who we are? Will we fail to enter that flourishing life ourselves? Oh, God, please, wake us up. Arrest our hearts, capture our vision, capture our desires. Will we compromise and take from the tree of knowledge rather than the tree of life? This is what the wisdom literature is all about, church. And so I ask you to consider this. Just a simple question this week. 
As you wake up in the morning, I don't know what your routine is. I don't know what your daily liturgy is. Maybe you grab your phone first thing. Maybe you grab your Bible first thing. Maybe it's coffee. Maybe it's exercise. I don't know. But whatever you do and however you do it, I, I hope that you will think through this. What tree will I eat from today? Will I eat from the tree of life, God's wisdom, understanding, and knowledge? Will I fear the Lord and cultivate a life of flourishing? Will I play the long game? Or will I just do what everybody else is doing? Will I take from the tree of knowledge? Will I just try to figure it out myself? and Take a smorgasbord of everything and just kind of plug and play? Who will I be? Because the choices that we make every single day are making us into the people that we will be, the people that we are. Let's pray. Great gardener, you offer to train us in your wisdom, in your understanding, in your knowledge. You've given us your scriptures, your story, your truth, so that our lives will be those many gardens, those microcosms of Eden. so we can flourish, so we can be full. And Lord, we have rebelled and failed again and again to believe you. And Lord, we have failed to, to obey you. Lord, we have sown unfaithfulness. Lord, we sow in unrighteousness. We sow injustice. And we've tried to forge our own byways, paths to the good life. And we've tried to build Eden with worldly wisdom and virtues. And Lord, I, I pray at this moment that we would turn from these wells that cannot hold water, these paths that will only lead to ruin, or that we will be awoken, as Paul says, to righteousness, awake to, to life. Forgive us, Lord. Truly, Lord, forgive us, Lord. How we scorn your fatherly care, your love. Lord, how we use your world. Yet we disconnect it from you, the giver. We love the creation, but we scorn the creator. Forgive us, Lord. And Lord, restore us. Bring us back to your wisdom. Bring us back under your discipleship. And Lord, I pray that for this church, Lord, your words would become so valuable to us. Lord, I pray that we would know what David means when he says that the law of Yahweh is sweeter than honey. That's more precious than gold. It's more desirable than anything on earth because of the richness, the depth, the fullness that it can bring, that no storm can uproot, that no floods can wash away. Lord, may your words be cherished by us so that we might be what you created us and purchased us by your blood to be, a new 
and flourishing humanity in covenant partnership with you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior, who came, who laid aside his life, who took upon our burden, who went to the cross to set us free so we can come back to the garden. Not just have many gardens, Lord, but that the end of our story is one, Lord, that ends in flourishing, that ends in life evermore in your presence. We thank you, Jesus, and we pray, Lord, that we would take up our cross and follow you. Lord, that we would crucify those old ways, we would put on the new man and walk in the newness of life. We ask this in your name. Amen.